Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Thank you for tuning in to a very special tax edition series of the Toddcast Show. This episode is dedicated to helping you learn about doing your taxes, understanding the new tax laws in 2023 and different things that uh, relate to filing requirements and doing things to make the most out of your taxes. Today, we're joined with Neil Zimmerman. Neil, how are you today? I'm fine, Todd. How are you? Doing great, man. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from just outside Atlanta, Georgia, in a suburb of Atlanta called Austell. Wow, very cool. Atlanta is the metro area that I'm in. Nice. Is it country? Do you live in the country or the city? Uh, It's kind of between. I would say suburban is a a good descriptor. Cool, man. Do you like the area? I do. I grew up, uh, I was born in Brooklyn. Uh My mother tells me I watch Dodger games from the womb. (laughs) Uh, grew up in Westchester County, New York for most of my school years. Perfect. And then we moved to Atlanta about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I do not miss the cold weather. <laughs> People uh, kind of ask me what I miss about New York. I miss good mass transit. We don't have too much of that down here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I miss, don't miss the cold weather. The only thing I miss about New York is is really good Chinese food. It's a lot That's harder. To, it's a lot harder to find down here. 
I knew it. I knew it. I was thinking the food when you were saying that. I was like, it's got to be the food. It's got to be the food. <laughs> you don't miss the traffic. I noticed you say you don't miss the traffic. That's for sure. <laughs> well, that's because it's worse down here. <laughs> You're kidding. No way, man. Wow, that's amazing. New York is crazy. I've driven through there a couple of times. I lived in upstate for a short time, and it was uh, a really scary experience for me. I drove through Harlem, and it was uh, weird, you know, it's like uh, it was just so many people and so so small a place and six lanes of one way traffic all jammed. And wow, man. Yeah, that was the last time I ever did that. <laughs> I can understand the difference in New York is that in rush hours, so to speak, I don't know how anybody rushes during rush hour. Yeah, exactly. But the mass transit is so good. I mean, people get to work in New York City with buses and the subway. You really don't drive your car a lot, mm -hmm. but that's missing down here. So everybody drives mm -hmm. and the main road through Atlanta, we call it the connector. Mm -hmm. It's the confluence of Interstate 85 and Interstate 75. And it goes through, it splits downtown Atlanta in half mm -hmm. and it's eight lanes in each direction. Wow. Yeah, it's a sight to behold. Absolutely. It's so amazing. And then you look at other countries like um, Japan, for example, is a good one. Um, people move like it's almost like watching ants, like they're so small and there's so many and they move and like there's they're all together and it just flows like traffic. I think they're really good at that there. I don't know what it is, but like everybody in Japan seems to be able to cruise along the highway without having a lot of accidents and walk together and cross streets together like hundreds at a time it's crazy i've seen some videos that it's like wow that's a lot of people you know there's a lot of people uh, i think okay. as a, i think as a society they just might be a bit more polite than americans are culturally yeah yeah you're telling me and i hear in japan if you drop your wallet like somebody will find you and give it back you know how do you like that with the money in it that would be terrific. That, that would be, be terrific. terrific. Yeah, in New York, it's just the opposite. <laughs> now, we have our good stories about New York, too. Let's... Of course, of course. No, it's a beautiful place. Um, just real quick, um, and we'll get to the business end of our conversation. Um, I got to work in New York as a uh, COVID test scheduler, and it was right when the first COVID testing centers were being set up in the city and all around the area. And it was uh, really quite eye-opening for me. And I developed um, a new awareness and sense of compassion and understanding of the people of New York. Because I'll tell you this, man, like everybody, and I mean unequivocally everybody that told me that they missed their appointment on purpose, I said, well, why did you do that? And they said, well, because I didn't want to take it away from someone else that might need it more than I do. It's like every single one of them said that on their own. And I was so touched by that, like in a big city and... You know, I'm talking to people that live in a building with 500 other people. And, you know, it's like that was really something, dude. Like, you don't really break that down in a big city like that normally. It has a lot of love in it, doesn't it? It does indeed. Mm -hmm. So you're a New Yorker at heart or like uh, you feel your heart with the peaches I, now? <laughs> Boy, that's that's an interesting question. I've never been asked that. Good. I, from what I've been told from people who listen to me down here in Atlanta, and I'm not quite into saying insurance yet, right. rather than insurance. Okay, okay. <laughs> but people can say I'm not from down south, mostly because of the pace 
of how I speak. Yes. It's a little bit quicker in my delivery, I guess, than folks who were born and reared here in the South. Mm-hmm. Do I miss New York? Not really. It's mostly the weather. I miss my family. Most of my family is still up north. Oh. Uh, but it's pleasant down here. And right on. Uh, the coldest it gets in the winter, we're right in the middle of our two coldest months now, January and February. Our typical cold morning is maybe 34, 35 degrees Fahrenheit, but we'll warm up to 50, 55, even in January and February. And ah, that's, that's nice. That's, that's kind of pleasant. That is nice. I live in the center of the state of Arizona in the mountains, and it snows here, and it gets really cold. But like for me, really cold is down to the 20s, and then I've talked to a couple of people on at my job, and... Uh, they were telling me, oh, yeah, it's minus, like, 17 degrees today. Uh, what? Like, minus? Like, oh, Lord. So, yeah, I don't like the cold at all. I don't blame you, man. Um, I feel for you for sure. <laughs> Get out of that. Yeah, you became a permanent snowbird. Is that what they call them, the ones that go from the north to the south in the wintertime? That is the... indeed what they call them. Snowbirds yeah. is the mm-hmm. expression. Very cool, man. Very cool. So you're a tax professional, and uh, we want to explore that a little bit and talk about some things that relate to filing your taxes in 2023. And uh, I just want to open up by inviting you to share anything that you'd like, but we want to just explore some things that will provide some value and insight for our listeners. And uh, if there's a way to get a hold of you and if you're available for work, uh, to work with people, by all means, uh, at the end of the episode, I want them to have a way to get a hold of you so that they can do that. But The goal today is really just to share a little bit of your knowledge and uh, understanding, but to hit a few points maybe other people don't think about and see if we can help people really kind of do better on their taxes because, you know, it's a stressful time of year and the goal of this is to help make things a lot easier for people. So what comes to mind first when you think of uh, the most important message to share about doing your taxes? Well, if we start off with, you know, every year the IRS makes changes. Sometimes Congress makes big changes. And this year, uh, there is a big change in one of the tax credits that affects a great deal of people. And that's the child care. I'm sorry, not the child care credits, the child tax credit. Oh, yeah. Last year, it was like uh, winning the lottery, man. Well, I don't know if it was quite that big, at least given the <laughs> six or seven hundred million that some of the recent lotteries have gone on to. But the amount of money that mm-hmm. it affected the tax that you owed or the size of your refund uh, was more than double what it is in the current year. Mm-hmm. It affects those people who have children who are under 17. The child's tax credit only applies to kids whose birthday, whose 17th birthday happens after December 31st. Mm -hmm. If your child is 16 years old and 354 days on December 31st, then they are eligible for the child tax credit. And it is $2,000 per child. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There is no limit on the number of children you can have if you have a large family. Mm-hmm. But it probably is good to just explain the difference between a tax credit and a deduction. 
Absolutely, and how it affects your taxes, because a lot of people don't realize, you know, that one of the reasons we report it every year is because they do something with it the following year. <laughs> that is right. Now, people talk about deductions all the time with taxes. There is a standard deduction. There are itemized deductions. We can talk about those just a little bit later. But deductions reduce your income. And as your income is reduced, you end up having less taxable income. Mm -hmm. And your income tax is calculated on your taxable income. Mm -hmm. Nobody pays income tax on every penny that they make. Mm -hmm. You are only taxed on your taxable income. Mm -hmm. The theory behind it is that, at least the way I was taught in college, is that our federal government does not tax you on the income that you need for basic survival. Mm -hmm. Now, we can argue with what that number is, mm -hmm. but if you consider what is the standard deduction, and that varies by your marital status, uh, currently, if you are a single tax filer, means you're not married, you don't have any children, the standard deduction is $12,900. And it changes every year with inflation. But it but doesn't change by state, right? It's a federal thing? This is a federal thing, absolutely. We're not talking about any state tax returns now. We're just talking about the IRS, mm -hmm. which is the tax collection agency for the federal government. Mm -hmm. If you are married, the standard deduction this year is $25,000. $900. Mm -hmm. So we take your income, we subtract the standard deduction to get taxable income, and then your tax is based on that. Cool. So deductions reduce your income. Mm -hmm. And then and, the tax and, tax and tax liability really is the ultimate goal. Yes. And you provided a good lead into the next part of this, which is people with different incomes pay different percentages of their income in income tax. Yes, they people, do. And that, that changed, by the way, um, just in case people don't know, and I'm sure you'll address that, but I'm looking at a schedule of that right now on my screen. And yeah, it's really interesting. There's a lot of different levels to that, isn't there? Yes. And you, you've, you've caught me a little bit off I can, guard because I actually don't have those brackets memorized time. I'm going to look like the smart guy, Neil, and, and I'll there read the go. numbers off the screen and pretend. But yeah, it goes from 10 to 37%. And um, at the 10% level, I'll just do the first and the last. So the tax bracket is zero to $11,000 for uh, single and for married giant, uh, filing jointly is zero to 22,000. Head of household is zero to 15,700 and married filing separately is zero to 11,000. Conversely, all the way at the top, it goes from 10 to 12 to 22% to 24%, then 32%, then 35%, and then finally 37% is over $578,125 for a single person, over $693,750 for married filing jointly, and head of household, it's over $578,100. And married filing separately is 346875 So as an example, 
a lot of people always want to earn a hundred thousand dollars. Like that's the goal. Like we want to make our first hundred grand. So what does it take at a hundred grand? Twenty-four percent. You're at the ninety-five thousand three hundred and seventy-six to a hundred and eighty-two thousand one hundred level as a single person. And whether you know it or not, uh, making different amounts of money does definitely impact the amount of taxes that you pay. So. Those are the numbers. They're easy to find on Google uh, for those that are interested in those. But they did change from last year. Um, it was a little bit lower last year, I believe. And so they've changed some of the numbers. And how does all that impact things overall, Neil? Well, the impact is mostly for the good. And here's why. The tax brackets, that's the fancy word for the tax percentage. But you'll hear that a lot were developed a long time ago when inflation was a lot less. Mm -hmm. As an example, when I got out of college, which is many moons ago, because <laughs> um, I'm in my 70s, awesome. there was an article in Fortune magazine, and the article was, what do you do as an executive when you start to make $20,000 a year? Because back in the low 60s, Mm -hmm. $20,000 a year as income was pretty good. You mm -hmm. were a middle manager at some pretty big companies. Mm -hmm. And now $20,000 for a single person is below the federally mandated poverty level. Mm -hmm. uh, to put inflation a little bit in perspective, I think the statistic I remember is that $1 in 1967 is now about $5.60. Wow. So been, yeah, there's been a five-fold increase or a five-fold decrease in the value of one dollar since 19, well, since the mid-60s, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. So what happened is that as people started to make more money through inflation, their tax bracket, the percentage of income they paid, went up only because of inflation. It was the value of the dollar had diminished. That's probably the primary reason why they adjusted the percentages uh, downward, in essence. Interesting. But let's not lose track about, I was heading in as far as the child. Yes, please. I apologize. Credit. I didn't mean to throw you off, but please. Yeah, That's child okay. tax credit. <laughs> no Again, problem. Deductions reduce your income. Mm -hmm. Tax credits happen to be better. Mm -hmm. Tax credits reduce the tax that you owe dollar for dollar hmm. so if you have a two thousand dollar tax credit let's say if you've gone through your tax calculation and you owe five thousand dollars in income tax and you have a two thousand dollar tax credit you will now owe three thousand mm dollars -hmm. the tax credit is just considered a negative number you subtract it from the tax that you owe and you end up with a new tax. Mm -hmm. In order to get the equivalent deduction for a $2,000 tax credit, if you were a low-income taxpayer and were in the 10% tax bracket, you would have to have a $20,000 deduction mm. because 10% of that would be $2,000. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to reduce your income 20000 
in order to get the same tax benefit of a $2,000 tax credits. So tax credits are good, a lot better than deductions because they are dollar for dollar. Mm -hmm. And that is why the reduction in the child tax credit was so meaningful to so many people. Because in the tax practice that I'm currently in, many, many clients are complaining as to why did my refund go down? Mm-hmm. And the first question we ask is, well, how many children do you have yeah. who are under six, 17? And when they say, well, I got three kids, and the answer is right there. Right. So people who use an accountant or people who use tax software, a lot of different flavors of that, mm-hmm. you should be very aware that if you have children, the primary reason your refund is going down is because of the change in the child tax credit. Wow. Yeah, and people don't realize. I mean, so essentially, are you paying it back, or how does it calculate in terms of the offset? Gosh, I'm not sure what you mean by the offset. Tom. No, no, I mean, I'm so sorry. Um, so the it affects your taxes the following year. You got the money the previous year. So, like, are you essentially paying it back, or is it just a calculation based on how much you've got as to what Ah, okay. Well... The, the, the logistical change from the, the tax credit in 2021 is that the government actually sent the payments to you. That was known as the advance payment mm-hmm. of the child tax credit. You didn't have to pay it back unless they sent it to you incorrectly. And there's a whole lot of detail there that's probably not worth going into right now yeah. because it didn't affect that many people. But if the IRS had calculated your income incorrectly and they sent you the advance payment of the tax credit incorrectly, when you filed your tax return, that's when this was found out. And in the tax return, maybe you had to pay it back if you could not make the adjustment in the tax return itself. Wow. In 2022, there should be no paying back of any tax credit. And people who had a tax debt probably is a carryover only from 2021. Mm-hmm. So have, have I adequately explained that? Yes, definitely. Thank you. That was perfect. Perfect, okay. perfect. But that's that's probably the biggest. There were some changes in corporate tax law, and I'm not a big corporate tax guy, so mm-hmm. I don't know a whole lot about them. But on the tax return rules and regulations for individuals, the child tax credit is by far and away the biggest difference between tax year 2022 and tax year 2021. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like it'll be a lot. It'll be a shocker for some people because they don't know. But like at the same time, it'll be glad when all that's over and there's no more credits to worry about like next year, I guess. (laughs) All right. The the next topic that I had thought might be of interest to a lot Mm -hmm. of people is 
if you decide that you do not want to do your taxes yourself, mm-hmm. who do you go to to get it done? Good question. And there are lots of different people who would like to take your money in preparing your tax return for you. And they run the gamut from <clears throat> people who are certified public accountants to people who have another tax credential called being an enrolled agent mm-hmm. of the IRS. And then there are people who are just plain old tax preparers. And then you have a whole bunch of software companies who have written software packages that you can use to do your taxes either by yourself or give help. But I want to concentrate just a little bit on the people Mm -hmm. if you decide to go to a person. Mm, Perfect. Thank you. So let's talk about what some of those different credentials mean. Excellent. A certified public accountant is a person who has taken, and these regulations vary by state. Certifying public accountants is a state-controlled function. There is a national organization called the Institute of Certified Public Accountants that gets shortened up to the AICPA, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. Mm -hmm. And the reason for a CPA is public companies are required to have their financial statements examined. Mm -hmm. And it's the job of the CPA by law to do an audit and to tell the investing public that the financial statements fairly present the financial condition of whatever company is being audited. Mm -hmm. What I just said is known as a clean opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, if a company is in pretty rocky shape and they are given the financial records of the company and the auditor says, you know, I don't think these financial statements accurately reflect the condition of this company, they issue an opinion which is not clean. Mm. Certified public accountants have a certain number of accounting they have to take in college or graduate school. They have to take a four-part test. There's a legal part. There's a problems part. There is an audit part. And after that state certification, they are allowed to call themselves certified public accountants, and they have to sign the opinion that they do when they do an audit. Mm -hmm. Now, CPAs do a lot of work other than an audit. But being a CPA does not make you a tax expert. Mm. You can be, but the the certification is more for an auditing perspective than are you an expert in doing taxes. So just because someone calls themselves a CPA does not mean they're a wizard at doing your tax return. Yeah, it's more of a, a financial strategy book it's almost uh, uh oversight of bookkeeping and stuff is that kind of how it works well you you've taken a test and you've passed the test so there's a minimum amount of knowledge that you've been able to convince the examiner you have mm-hmm. and there's a lot of very technical aspects to 
auditing financial statements that a CPA is required to have. Mm -hmm. Now, the next credential, which in my personal opinion means a little bit more than being a CPA, mm -hmm. is being an enrolled agent. Mm -hmm. And the IRS issues that certification. And being an enrolled agent also means that you have studied and you've passed a three-part exam mm -hmm. specifically on doing taxes. Nice. And it is both at the individual level and the business level. And once you are an enrolled agent, you must take a certain amount of tax education and you must recertify yourself every three years. Mm -hmm. If you don't take the required education, you no longer can call yourself an enrolled agent. Yeah. And in order to represent a client before the IRS, you either have to be a tax attorney, you've gone to law school, or a CPA, or you can represent a taxpayer in a dispute with the IRS if you are an enrolled agent. Very cool. Very cool. Then you have just plain old tax preparers. This is mm -hmm. anybody who calls themselves a tax preparer. The only requirement to be a tax preparer and to be paid for doing a tax return is that you must get a number. It's called a P-TIN number, P-T-I-N, okay. mm -hmm. and you get that from the IRS. But there is no test you have to take. You basically fill out a form saying that you're a good guy and haven't been to jail recently. Mm -hmm. And you, too, can get a PTIN number. Oh. But you must put that number on the tax return that you prepare. Interesting. So those now, again, I have 17 years in paid tax preparation experience. Mm -hmm. I'm not an enrolled agent. Mm -hmm. I used to be a CPA many years ago, but I let the certification lapse. Mm -hmm. But I have 17 years in working for various companies and having my own tax practice and doing people's tax returns. Perfect. Um, and my clients seem to like me. Um, so the thing that I want to warn your audience about is if you should get approached by a person that you know and he says, hey, Neil, I've got a friend of a friend who's in the tax business, his rates are really cheap, why don't you give him a try? I would be very careful yeah. about having someone prepare your taxes who you don't know, even mm -hmm. if they are referred to by a friend. Mm -hmm. Because the person who is ultimately responsible for your tax return no matter who prepares it, is yourself. Mm. It is not a defense with the IRS if there's a big mistake on the return. If you say, well, my tax guy did this, go after him. And the IRS says, nope, you signed the return. It is yours. We have a problem. Let's try to deal with it. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard over the years where there are good people in the tax preparation and there are not so good people mm -hmm. in the tax preparation business. Mm -hmm. And you just don't want to be in a position of having paid these guys sometimes 
very big money mm-hmm. because they've promised you a big refund. And by God, you've got the refund. But a year down the road, you get a letter from the IRS says that, you know, we've got these questions about your tax return. And if it turns out that the tax return had a mistake or was fraudulently prepared, mm-hmm. the person who's responsible for paying the money back to the IRS is you. It mm. is not the person who prepared your return. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Representation means a lot. That's a big commitment. You're right. Yeah. Having trust in that dynamic is essential. That's, yeah, it, uh, it, it truly is. And I know that money is tight and I know people don't like to overpay for what they do, but you should also stay away from preparers who say my fee will be 10% of the refund I get for you. Oh, Contingency fees for preparing taxes are illegal. Really? They are, yes. They are against IRS regulations. If you are a research nerd and you want to read up on the regulations that tax preparers have to abide by, Mm -hmm. the IRS has a publication. It is called Circular 230. Circular 230. Mm-hmm. Now, reading it is like watching paint dry. Right. But huh. it's got everything you want to know about the rules and regulations of being a tax preparer and how we are fined if the IRS, through various means, tells us that we've broken the rules and we are fined as tax preparers because we've broken the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also puts forth the ethical standards that tax preparers have to live by. Mm-hmm. And Very that important. is the essence of, of Circular 230. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's now, amazing. Very cool. Um, just, I know you have a list and I just want to make sure one of the things, because uh, you're explaining things in a perfect way. I really uh, like how you're doing this. This is great. Um, but I want to make sure people also know at some point the distinction between W-2 employment and 1099 self-employment. What does it mean if you had a side gig or earn money on the side? How much do you have to make to actually report? Do you even have to file if you made some money on the side? What if it's cash? You know, that sort of thing. And uh, maybe talk about that at some point. And Let's talk about it right now, because it's it's in today's gig economy, you have hit upon an extraordinarily important part of being in a gig economy where you mm-hmm. work for someone who is not, technically speaking, your employer. Mm-hmm. How to begin this? A W-2 is a document that is sent to you by law. You have to have it by January 31st of the year. Mm-hmm. And that date's now passed. So everybody who worked for a company as an employee should have received their W-2 by now. If mm-hmm. not, you've got a legitimate complaint against the company that you work for. Mm-hmm. But you are an employee. And without going too deeply into the definition of an employee, in essence, you can be told how to do your job. Mm-hmm. 
you get paid a salary and the company withholds income taxes from you and they work their way to being paid to the government every month by a bank. They also withhold social security taxes. They withhold Medicare taxes. And there are other deductions taken out of your pay depending on the company that you work for. You may have medical benefits, you may have tuition benefits and the like. Mm-hmm. There's one now, thing I'm, that we should we should add something to this real quick because I know some people struggle with this. Um, they might not always realize the company does take out your withholding, but you have to designate how much they take out. So you can underpay, overpay, hit the mark. Um, it's all up to you as to how much you take out, right? And that's an employee decision. Yes, there is a form that's called a W-4 form that when you first get hired by a company, you will fill out. And there is where you get to say how you want to have federal tax deducted from your paycheck. Sometimes the states, those states who have income tax, and every state in the United States does not have an income tax. There are seven states who don't. Mm -hmm. But if you are in a state where there is a state income tax, you will fill out an equivalent form for how you want to be deducted, or the state may also use the federal form as well. Mm-hmm. But the key piece about the difference between that and being an independent contractor mm-hmm. is that on the federal side of things, you have 6.2% of your paycheck deducted for social security purposes. Mm-hmm. So that when you retire, you have something there. And your employer must match that. So let's say, yeah, let's say your paycheck is a thousand bucks. You will have $62 deducted for social security and your employer, your boss is also paying $62 on your behalf. How about that? Now, there are many companies who don't want to be bothered doing that. Mm Mm-hmm. And they will try to hire you as an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. They will pay you. You will get a paycheck. It might be a personally written check. It may be issued by a payroll service. But it will have no taxes deducted. Many people who hire people as independent contractors do not fully explain what that means. Right. And many of them don't want to be bothered with the paperwork of hiring a payroll service to do payroll accounting. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to be bothered with the matching 6.2% on Social Security. So they say, Todd, we've got this great job for you, but we're going to hire you as a contractor. You're not going to be an employee of ours. And sure enough, they can pay you by the hour. They can pay you a salary. But they will just say to you, you are responsible for paying your own taxes. Mm -hmm. And you'll say, okay. Now, what happens is that if you make more than $600 in a year Mm -hmm. and you are an independent contractor, by law, you must get a form acknowledging that income 
and your employer also sends that form to the IRS. Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned two of those forms. Mm -hmm. uh, two years ago, the form for most of this kind of money was the 1099 MISC for miscellaneous. Mm -hmm. And if you had that form, let's say you got paid $20,000 by the company you were working for, mm -hmm. that became your income. But most people did not pay any tax to the IRS during that year. They waited until the end of the year. They put the 20000 in their tax return. But because they had not paid any income tax during the year, many people have a big surprise in the first year that they are independent contractors because they end up having a big tax bill because they've had a whole year of income and they have to pay perhaps not only income tax, but they have to pay the social security tax, oh, the Medicare really? tax. Well, remember, your employer was not withholding it from your paycheck. Oh, I thought that just... You I thought it just meant, I thought it meant that you just didn't get it, but it's still responsible for you to be able to put that money into your future, you're saying. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. I had no idea. That's fantastic. Because when you are an independent contractor, you are both the employee and the employer. Mm -hmm. Now, that 6.2% that I mentioned, you're not paying double that. You're not paying 14, I'm sorry, 12.4%. As an independent contractor, you're paying one and a half times the normal rate. You get a break on 50% of the uh, self-employment tax for Medicare and for um, health care insurance as well, mm -hmm. the uh, Social Security and the uh, Medicaid tax, which is 1.45%. Mm -hmm. But as a word to the wise, if you're working with a company and they say, you should ask in the interview process, am I being hired as an employee or as a contractor? Mm -hmm. And if the company says we're hiring you as a contractor, then you should ask immediately for about a 10% raise mm -hmm. because that's the additional amount of social security tax you're going to end up paying. Mm -hmm. And most people do not realize this. People wow. who are getting the same pay rate as a contractor, as an employee, are getting less money at the end of the day than the employee is getting because of the Social Security match. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, that's definitely something that not everybody would know. And you mentioned uh, different types of 1099s. What do the other ones cover? Okay, the, the, the biggest 1099 is the NEC. It stands for non-employee compensation. Mm -hmm. There is also a 1099 miscellaneous, which mm -hmm. independent contractors shouldn't be getting, but many employing companies are not up to the latest and greatest, so they are still issuing 1099 miscellaneous. Mm -hmm. If you have royalty income, if you're in the publishing business or the music business, mm -hmm. you can get royalty payments on a 1099 miscellaneous form. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Because of the internet and because of such companies like Etsy and many selling kinds of companies, including Amazon, a newer form that's in being is a 1099K for kangaroo. Although it okay. doesn't stand for that. Yeah, right. I was going to say, how does that work? <laughs> how that works is this. There is, if you sell your stuff through Etsy, for example, Etsy does the bookkeeping. They take a fee for the money they collect on your behalf. But at the end of the year, they will send you a 1099K form saying, this is a summary of the money that we paid for you during the year. And that becomes part of your self-employment income. I but see. those are the three big hitters, 1099 NEC, 1099 MISC, and the 1099K. Those are the three biggies for self-employment income. Interesting. Wow. And W-2s, really simple. Simple one document, nothing to it. So, yeah, if you're going to do your own business, you got to be ready to save some money. And what about quarterly payments? That was another thing. Uh, people that work for themselves don't realize is that you can make quarterly payments and help minimize your overall tax, you know, expenditure at the end. So like you can pay it along the way, right? That is exactly right. The tax law says if you earn your money evenly throughout the year, you must pay your taxes evenly throughout the year. My father is a good example. My father, bless his heart, was a doctor. Mm -hmm. He didn't get he was not an employee as soon as he got out of his internship training at a hospital. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he became a doctor in his own practice, nobody was giving him a paycheck. The patients would come in, they would get billed, he would get paid, put the money in the bank. He had employees, he paid them. He had a payroll service to pay the nurses and the technicians who were in his office but he himself never got a paycheck. He would pay himself by taking the money out of the bank. Mm -hmm. But every three months, his accountants would come to the office. He would do the books and he'd say, Sid, you have to write a check for 5,000 bucks to the IRS and you have to write a check for 1,200 bucks to New York State. We were living in New York at the time. Mm -hmm. So that was his equivalent of him doing his own withholding. He made mm. quarterly payments to the taxing authorities to keep up with the tax law. Now, at the end of the year, when all of his expenses were known, when all of his income was known, the accountants would come in and he would say, Sid, you made $20,000 in estimated payments, but guess what? Your federal tax bill is only 18000 so on your tax return, you are going to get a $2,000 refund. Cool. So dad was getting back his own money, which he had overpaid. Mm -hmm. And the same was true for New York State. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if his tax bill was 22000 and he had only made 20000 in estimated payments, yeah. well, he wrote a check on April 15th to the IRS for the 2000 bucks. Mm -hmm. People who are self-employed, who have a tax liability until they get that 
big surprise in the first year should make quarterly payments if their business is profitable. It's the equivalent of doing your own withholding. Unfortunately, most regular folks don't until they've been burned the first time. Wow. Yeah, and I'm sure once you do that, you never do it again. <laughs> well, that depends on how fast a learner you are. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so what about uh, retirement plans and 401ks? How do things like that relate to your tax liability or bill or when you're contributing to a 401k, do you only get taxed when you take money out or do you get taxed some other way? Like how does that all work? Well, that really depends on the nature of the plan. Most 401k plans are tax deferred. What that means is the, and we're talking about mostly employees now, Todd, because if you're self-employed, you don't really have a 401k made available to you, there's another kind of retirement plan that we can talk about in a second. But if you work for a company that has a 401k plan as part of your retirement benefit, then money is taken out of your paycheck and invested in the plan. Mm -hmm. That money comes out of your paycheck in what's called a pre or before tax basis. If you made $1,000 for the week and $100 was taken out of your paycheck to put into the retirement plan, then your income tax withholding is based on $900 and not the 1000 mm. That means when you retire and the money comes out of the plan, that is when you pay the income tax on it. Mm. That's a standard so, 401k that works that way, right? Not a Roth. Ah, you are confusing. I always get them confused. Yeah, yeah. you're confusing. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, we're, we're not there yet. I'm so sorry. I'm reading something. And uh, yeah, it's the next subject. But yeah, I read first. Yeah. There's a difference between a 401k and an IRA. My mistake. I apologize. That's okay. Right. We're going to get to that. You and about half the world make that mistake. It's just Perfect. fine. Perfect. So when you are retired and you start getting your money back, you will get a form from the payer of your 401k plan. And that form is called a 1099R. And the R stands for retirement. Mm -hmm. So if you are getting, let's say, a $600 a month payment from the 401k plan, you will have tax deducted from that payment because now you're paying the tax on that income, oh. not when the money went into the plan. Interesting. Now, the same thing holds if you work for a company that doesn't have a 401k retirement plan. Mm -hmm. Or as a self-employed person, you can set up an independent retirement arrangement. That's what IRA stands for, mm -hmm. an independent retirement arrangement. That's the technical definition from the IRS. Everybody says it's an independent retirement account. It isn't. It's an arrangement. <laughs> but the same thing happens. A traditional IRA, the money that you put into the plan 
which is tax deductible. You get to take that money off your income when you put it in, and you are only taxed on that money when you take it out. You still get the same 1099-R form. Mm -hmm. Some number of years ago, I don't remember the exact number, there was a congressman named Roth, and he put a law into place where the Roth IRA was invented. Mm -hmm. I wish I had had that possibility when I was a younger man, because the Roth IRA's difference is that the money you put into the plan is not a tax deduction. However, all of that money hopefully grows as you invest it. The investment vehicle grows with the economy, be it stocks or bonds or real estate. And if you end up putting over your lifetime, oh, let's say $100,000, and at the end of your retirement years at age 65 or 68, that value in your Roth independent retirement arrangement is $250,000. As you pull the money out, it is not taxed. Wow. So there's a $150,000 increase in value that your money has accrued over the 20 or 25 years. And if Congress doesn't pass laws to change it, you are not taxed on that money as you pull it out. It's almost like stealing if you have a belief in the economy of the United States. Mm -hmm. It can be a very good deal for younger people. If you're an older person in your 50s or early 60s, a traditional IRA is probably the better way to go. But for that, you should speak to a financial advisor or your tax advisor. Mm -hmm. I really can't give that kind of advice in a program like this because everybody's situation is different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, cool. but, but those are the major differences. Okay, very nice. And then we've got about uh, 10, 15 minutes or so to file, finalize our conversation. And then there's so much more to talk about. But is there anything on your list? Um, we've got enough time to hit a couple of subjects. But is there anything that you think would stand out uh, that you'd like to share next? Yes, there is. Perfect. People should not be afraid of the IRS. Yes. There is a fear out there that if you make the tiniest little mistake, the wrath of God is going to come down on you by the IRS, and yeah. it just doesn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. I've been dealing with the IRS for many, many years. I have known them to be polite. Mm -hmm. They bend over backwards to try to work with you on whatever the matter might be. Mm -hmm. But the biggest single piece of advice I can give is don't be afraid to open a letter from the IRS. Mm -hmm. The worst thing you can do is to ignore communications from the IRS. Yes. It may be nothing. It may be that you've overpaid and they're just letting you know about a refund that's coming your way. Mm -hmm. But if there is a tax problem, it is something that you should respond to in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. 
And I just want to let your audience know that if they have found what they think is a mistake in your tax return mm -hmm. and they want more money from you, mm -hmm. I have never known them not to give you an extension of time to take care of it. Good. They have to do that by law. But there's a limit. It's a six-year repayment limit, isn't it? Is that right? Well, they give, they can you know, give you that I'm not sure. Years. If you owe them money and you cannot pay it, they will always allow you to get into a payment plan. Mm -hmm. I really don't know if there's a time limit on that. Or but terms. You yeah, you probably don't want to spread it out to six years because you do pay interest and penalties on the amount of money that is legitimately owed to the IRS until that debt is paid off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But don't be afraid to open the letter. Don't be afraid to call them. Don't be afraid to ask for additional time because the IRS is not perfect. They make mistakes too. Mm -hmm. And in case anybody is thinking about some of the horror stories they've heard in the press <laughs> about some very famous people who've had the IRS agents come to the house and start hauling the furniture out, <laughs> I can promise you that only happens after years, and I'm talking years, of those people basically saying, go to hell to the IRS. They have ignored letter after letter. They have just stonewalled and have not worked with the IRS, however. And whatever your political concerns might be to the taxing authority of the IRS, they have extraordinary power. And if you get a mad at you, they're going to exercise it. Yeah. But if you work with them, they just want the amount of tax that they are legally entitled to. Mm -hmm. Nothing more and nothing less. Mm -hmm. It is nothing to fear. You know, um, I, was, I didn't want to do this because I know we got a lot to talk about. Are you good for another few minutes? Sure. Okay. I got to ask a question, and I'm sure other people might be curious if they're aware of this, but what do you think about the uh, idea of them hiring all these new IRS agents with guns and stuff? Like, what do you think about that? <sighs> First of all, I don't think IRS agents are allowed to carry guns. No, there's, there's a new breed, and there's a brand new thing. They, they literally just hired like 90,000 people, and they gave them guns, and they're teaching them, and they look like rejects. Like, they showed videos I can show you sometime. It's very entertaining, but they really, you know, you've got people. There's even one, one person in a wheelchair, you know, and it's like, what is he going to do in a wheelchair, like going to a place to collect taxes with a gun, you know, it's well, like, I don't understand that. Well, Todd, I really am not shilling for the IRS here, but I would doubt some of the gun stories very much. Okay. The, the IRS is incredibly sensitive to complaints about how they interact with the taxpaying public. Mm -hmm. And if the IRS is trying to hire additional agents or auditors, to perhaps scrutinize more tax returns than they have in the past. Candidly, I think the IRS is just trying to say we want the American public to pay the taxes that the law is written for. Mm -hmm. There is a tremendous amount of fraud within the tax system because yeah. a great deal of our tax paying is voluntary. Mm -hmm. One of the tax credits that we spoke about 
uh, and it's a big one for lower and middle income people, is called the Earned Income Tax Credit. Mm -hmm. And the IRS estimates that about 40% of the billions and billions of dollars that they pay out in the Earned Income Tax Credit is fraudulent. Wow. Some people kind of bend the rules a little bit. And if they are taking care of a child that is not theirs to claim, mm -hmm. they still put it into the tax return to see if they can get away with it. Yeah. And is it right? No. Does it happen? Yes. Uh, bummer. That's a bummer, unfortunately, dude. Unfortunately, it's, it's lower to middle income people who it affects the greatest. And they have trouble because they need the money. It's it's very thorny problem. Mm -hmm. But Congress, with both parties in Congress and with both party presidents, the earned income credit is one of those credits that both parties can take responsibility for. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, getting close to wrap-up time, what do you think uh, might be the next message to share or something that was important from the list of things that you were thinking about sharing today? Oh, gosh. Keep good records. Mm -hmm. If you should get into difficulty with the IRS and you get a letter about, for example, if you are being audited on your medical expenses, if you itemize your deductions when your, your medical expenses more than seven and a half percent of your income, you can deduct that as for on your tax return. Mm -hmm. Now, if you should be audited on that and you get a letter from the IRS saying, you know, we think we just would like some receipts for the $15,000 that you claimed as medical expense. Well, if you're in the unfortunate situation where you've had to pay out of your pocket Fifteen thousand that was not covered by insurance, then just make sure you keep good records. Mm -hmm. Most people get lazy about that, especially self-employed people. They mm -hmm. don't keep track of their expenses the way they should. Now mm -hmm. it comes tax time, and they have to go through a year's worth of receipts for their tax return. Mm -hmm. Most people aren't up to it. Do the stuff at least once a month. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. summarize it so at tax time you can add up a monthly number 12 times rather than going through a year's worth of receipts because that's a morale buster absolutely so for the self-employed it's just part of your business if you're going to be independent you've got to think like someone like that and that means being responsible for things like this on a regular basis and what you're saying makes perfect sense just to feed into it um, on the quarterly basis instead of having to wait till the end of the year I know there's a lot of people out there that didn't even know that was possible. So um, that's a really good thing. It's a very good tip. And keeping the records and stuff, just it's part of the business, you know? That's, that's yeah, why. Part uh, of being a grown up is keeping records. Exactly. Yeah. If you're working for somebody, the idea is that you've got a boss that'll handle it. And that's great. But you know what? You're the boss. So that's the hard thing, I think, for people to get used to, especially just doing it for the first time. and you know, just trying to make a little money. They don't know, but like uh, the more you know, the better it is and the bigger you can get and the less money you'll pay if you do it right. So that's yeah, a really good thing. In the tax thing. world, knowledge is a very powerful thing. Sure is, man. Knowledge and memory of all the codes and crazy numbers. <laughs> it helps a lot. And so any final thoughts that you might like to share or any other things that are on your mind that we might want to share today that would help people that are listening? Yeah, the last thing is 
there's a lot of bad knowledge out on the street. Mm -hmm. People tend to believe their friends rather than the tax experts. Mm. And I'm going to tell you one war story, and it's the Please. Lord's truth. Good. I had a client come in who for years had been filing his tax return, married, filing separate. Mm -hmm. And he was married. Mm -hmm. And I asked him why. And he said, well, my wife is disabled and she doesn't have any income. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, are you married? He said, yes. I said, do you have income? He said, yes. Uh, and I said, well, then why aren't you filing a married filing joint return? Wouldn't she be a qualified adult dependent? or? No, your spouse cannot be your dependent, Todd. Your Good spouse is your spouse. Okay. So I asked him, he says, well, I thought that if your wife didn't make any money, you had to do a married filing separate return. And mm -hmm. this was a decently big executive in the company that he worked for. Mm -hmm. And I was working for one of the big tax preparation companies, and one of my colleagues had done his tax return in the prior year. And I said, didn't your tax preparer question you on this? And he said, you know, Neil, as a matter of fact, I did. But I told him that I wanted to file a married filing separate return. Mm -hmm. So he said, OK, and he did it. He was acting according to my wishes. I said, did you listen to the reason he told you? And he said, well, maybe not as much as I should have. Why are you yeah, telling me this? I would say. And I said, well. Surprise. Here's, here's the deal. When you file married filing separate, you are paying the same tax rates as a single person. Twice. And tax rates do differ between being single, being married, and the filing status you mentioned, head of household, which is essence is you're single, but you have children. Mm -hmm. I said, at the higher income levels, and this guy made about 150000 a year, you are paying way too much tax. And if we just changed your filing status to married filing joint, because only one of you has to have income, your tax bill is going to be $8,000 less. Oh, man. He said, you're kidding. <laughs> I said, my right hand to the Lord above, I am not kidding. Wow. And I showed him the numbers. I said, and in addition, you are allowed to file amended returns going back three years. And I said to him, how long have you been filing married filing separate? Oh. And he said, ever since I've been married, because my wife was disabled when we married, and that's mm -hmm. been eight years. Uh. I said, well, we can only file amended returns for the last three. Todd, the, the refund I was able to get him yes. by filing amended returns for the last three years. Wow. And the only change I had to make was from married filing separate to married filing joint, yeah. it was $28,000. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it Jeez, was about 9000 a year. Oh. And I was shocked that... Now, the moral of the story is 
you may think you know the tax law, but let your tax preparer give you a good explanation before you do something that your tax preparer is recommending against. Yeah, and don't let your ego or some stupid thing that you picked up somewhere think that you're more knowledgeable than them. You're not. Like Probably you know. not. <laughs> no, no, you're just not, dude. Like The whole idea of a tax professional is that they're a professional. If I want a mechanic, I'm not going to go to a Chinese restaurant. You know, it's like you go to a mechanic. So, you know, you I'm, go. not gonna, I'm not going to tell them how to go and work on my car either. I don't know how to do that the way they do. So, you know, that's the whole idea. And quite frankly, it's really amazing that people don't realize the differences that little things like that can make. And I think it's really important for people personally to get the advice of a professional, uh, whether it be you or any number of other people, but someone, like you said, that you can trust and that has your best interests at heart, that follows the rules and doesn't do anything funny. But more importantly, they're willing to tell you the truth. It's up to you to believe and listen and act on that guidance. So, you know, as a tax filer, you know, it's uh, almost like being an athlete and having a coach, you know, to work out your plays with and make sure that you're on your best game. And it's like that. You just have to do it once a year. That's all. So it's not that big of a deal, people. <laughs> in the end, it's just taxes. It's just money. Yeah, it's not death, the most important thing in life. Death and taxes, the only two guarantees in life, right? That's the saying. <laughs> exactly. Some people feel that one is better than the other, or they take either one at tax time. <laughs> but yeah, just uh, for people out there listening, you know, if you're worried about it, don't worry about it. You know, this is just part of life, and we do it. You know, so every year, well, I get upset, and what's the point of having stress when you could turn to a professional and have peace and that's the key to the whole thing. Sounds reasonable. Yeah, man. Uh, last words, Neil. Are we good? Or you got anything else? I think else we there? are. Okay, cool. I can't tell you what this means. I really feel grateful for you to be here and sharing your knowledge. And gosh, you did it in such a great way. Like, I really appreciate how you laid everything out and made it really easy to understand. And you hit some really important topics. So I hope those listening are going to benefit from that and apply those techniques, investigate, Google, whatever you got to validate that, you know, yes, indeed, this is the right choice. And then find a professional that suits your needs. And it does depend on different tax situations. So, you know, you want to find somebody that fits with what you're doing. Um, and that's it. So one last question, though, before we wrap up and go. Um, do W2 people need a tax professional or is W2 taxes the kind of thing that you go and do with software on your own, typically? If you are unafraid of reading a question and answering it on the computer, if you have a little bit of self-confidence, the tax software out there is pretty good. Yeah. I would give it a try. Mm -hmm. Perfect. If you Perfect. make, if the rules haven't changed, and I will admit I haven't looked at the latest on this, Todd, but on the irs.gov website, the IRS website, irs.gov, there is a free file section. Mm -hmm. If you make less than $60,000 a year, there are many different tax software companies where you can do your federal return for free mm -hmm. and indeed some of the state returns for free. Mm. You don't have to pay a thing until you file. Perfect. Give it a try. Yeah. If you can't do it, 
then consider, and there are services out there where you can pay someone to help you should you need the help. And currently, I happen to be working for one of them. Uh, to take advantage of it. I really Absolutely. can't say the name on your show, but there's yeah. lots of tax services out there where you can either do it yourself or pay a little extra money and be able to have them call you and answer any tax question that you might have. Absolutely. And, so uh, you can I, do it kind of yourself, but you won't be alone. No, and that's the best part. And you can leverage the experience and expertise of people who have been doing this stuff forever. And that is a gift. It really it, is. Amen, brother. Right on. Neil Zimmerman, I just want to tell you again, thank you for your time and for sharing your knowledge and expertise. Is there a way that someone can reach out to you? Are you taking clients or you just being a great guy today and uh, sharing your knowledge with the world? No, again, my, my current employer, I, I no longer have a private tax practice, Todd. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you call one of those companies and you happen to be connected to me, I'll do your taxes. But there really is not a way to contact me directly to do work for you. Okay, no problem. That's fine. Well, this is an even bigger blessing. Um, gosh, this is an altruistic experience. I think all my other tax uh, professionals I've interviewed have their own practice and I like to promote those, but uh, your altruism is uh, very respectable. I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Awesome. It was great talking with you, and I hope we get to do this again maybe next year. You bet. Awesome. Have a great day. You too, Todd. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. 
You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.